Well, good evening, LCM. Today is Thursday, April 20th, 2023. 420. The, the title of tonight's message is The Only Thing That Matters. <clears throat> Come on, we'd like to point out that this is the very first time that we as a team, my brothers and I, the heads of the households of the Stevens, the Treasters, and the Barnetts, or in other words, Hebron, have had the opportunity to preach together on this stage. And we are bursting with excitement to be able to share with our family. So we've recently come to the weighty, pressing, and inescapable realization that there is an execution order in place. This is driving us to examine and evaluate the hunger level that we currently possess and that of our household. Our body is in a beautiful place where we are put into a position where we must and we are growing in the ability for our entire household to consume the whole perfect lamb. <laughs> we are recognizing our lack of appetite and we are destroying cowardice. We are destroying the substitutes and the junk food that has been killing our spiritual hunger. Come on, Bosh. I have a question for you. Would you agree that we must learn to displace that which does not sustain? <laughs> displace that which does not sustain. So that the very thing that does sustain, the very Lamb of God that brings resurrection power, can take its place? You see, Church, Baj and Nick and I, we've been discussing uh, formalities of using words like displacement, replacement, or something like substitution. And Baj has been schooling us on proper English. Thank you, Baj. So, saints of the living God, we want to remind you that pastors Wade and Judah taught us on this Sunday that this load increase that we are receiving is not meant to kill you. But rather, it is aimed at providing the sufficient amount of stress that is required for us to be able to grow and hunger for the things that are going to build us as we are fighting to increase our own hunger and we are finding his power flowing through us. He's training us to train up the appetite of our entire household. You see, we've learned that the secret to overcoming cowardice is to, to stand up, to fight, to pour ourselves out, to reach down into those around us and to our family's lives and to tell them to stand, to cause them to stand up. See, we're starting with our own household and it's going to happen in the brothers all the way around us. Amen. So tonight, come on, Justin Linton. We hungry. we hungry. Come on, say it with me, church. We hungry. You guys excited for tonight? Yeah. We're going to start with reviewing a little bit from Sunday's message because that was such a good word. And that was about four or five days ago, and we know we could use a refresher. So as we do that, we want to turn to Exodus 12, 3 through 5, as we begin this message. Say, only one thing matters when you get there. Verse 3, tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. We learned Sunday that it is the man's responsibility to assess the appetite of his household 
and determine how much lamb is needed for his household. What a soul-stirring word that was. I could tell you that my Muslim ka, the week before that, was complaining about the work that it took to assess how much lamb I need for my household and having the time, diligence, and just plain will to go out and find such a lamb. We learned that the prescription for all of Israel to pass through death was that the head of the household take it upon himself to assess and actually go find a perfect lamb. To pour himself out till he finds a lamb that is suitable for his household's needs and is in fact perfect. This is a soul-stirring word for me. My Muslim call the Friday before was, guys, I am tired of having to have a word for everybody that comes to me. People have been calling. My wife wants to talk when I get home at one in the morning. She wants to, all of this, all of this teaching and giving advice, it's too much for me. I can't handle it. I'm tired. And yet, I'm finding that the more and more that I hunger for the lamb myself, I begin to build a hunger for people around me and I can accurately access their appetite and give them what they need. Each man is responsible to provide lamb for his family. Let's pick up in verse four. It says, if any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. Having taken into account the number of people there are, you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. Man, are y'all getting flashbacks from Sunday? Man, this hits y'all like it hit me. The reality that no one is left out. Man, that it's strong. It's real strong. The reality that no one is left out and the intention was that the entire lamb was to be consumed. Now, I'm going to stop there. Y'all know me. When I was wrestling with this, the realities of my own life, I am going to cry, Peyton. I'm not, not, I am. When we're struggling with the reality of the entire lamb has to be consumed and I'm sitting there on Sunday and I'm looking at my own life and I'm looking at the reality that I like the rack. I like the rack of lamb. I like the select parts, but the reality is that me and my family, the entire lamb must be consumed and we are doing it day by day. When I'm struggling with it, I'm realizing that every portion Every portion, my Saturdays, you know what? That's my Sabbath and every portion, the word is gonna be lifted up because the entire lamb will be consumed. Amen. See, the man must determine the appetite of the household for the lamb. How many men do we have in here that are heads of households? Yeah. Yeah. How many men that are in here that are going to be heads of households? Yeah. Come on, see, no one is left out. No one is left out because the man must determine the appetite. Man, that's a, sober, that's a sobering thought. <laughs> yeah, the, the reality is when I'm looking at Moshe and I'm, look, <laughs> I'm looking at David and I'm hit with the reality that their appetite is based upon my appetite. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to eat what I'm going to eat. When I'm sitting there and look at the reality of what is the appetite of my wife? 
man, it's, it's, been stri- it's been striking me again and again at the reality that it is my responsibility. Men, can you say it is your responsibility? It's my responsibility. Man, the Lord is a good God and he is giving us exactly what we need. See, when I'm, when I'm sitting there with my wife, we're talking about the word, the areas that we can get more of the lamb because that's all that we want. I want more of the lamb. We're searching every bit. Hey, when we get home from service, what are we doing? Are we trying to Netflix and chill? No, we're going to get in the word and then chill, okay? This is what the Lord is establishing for us. He is giving us opportunities to eat more of the lamb in church. Can I say, it's changing my life. Amen. Amen. Let's move on to verse 5. It says, the animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. We've had to wrestle with this fact on Sunday that there's no provision stated here for anything other than perfect. Now, what does that mean? Well, God's got to show you exactly what that means. So I'm having to wrestle with the fact of where have I settled for less than perfect and called it the perfect lamb? Because just like Judah and Wade talked about on Sunday, that would cause me to wake up the next morning and find my firstborn son dead because I slacked, because I was lazy, because I was not diligent, because I settled for a substitute. You know, our God's not, he's not lazy with what he wants to provide for us. If we are able to get up and look for that perfect lamb, he will show it and he will provide exactly what we need. And then we take hold of it and we do with it exactly what God's prescribed. See, there were no deviations. Each household is searching for that perfect lamb and they cannot stop short of finding him. And you will find him when you seek after him. You see, life is on the line. We're going to move on. We're going to look at the backdrop of this passage in Exodus 11. So let's pick up in Exodus 11, which is the chapter before Exodus 12. So in Exodus 12, we understand that God gave a provision. Each household is to take a lamb, and this consuming of this lamb and putting the blood on the doorpost is going to allow them to pass through the death that is passing over them. Exodus 11 is going to give God's instruction of why he is causing this to happen. Exodus 11 verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. The first thing that strikes us out of this passage is that it is the Lord that is responsible for bringing this about. This is not the devil, this is not the enemy, this is God bringing plagues on the land that the people of God happen to live in. It is all a work of God. It is his doing. In verse 1 it says that God is going to bring one more plague, which means the previous nine plagues were not enough. Lord, do you, do you mean this sacrifice has to keep going? These difficulties have to increase, Lord? I've already gone through nine rounds of plagues. Why must you bring one more? Surely the Egyptians have had enough. Surely the Egypt inside of me has had enough because I'm ready to get out of here. The truth is, is that ten was needed. The previous nine were not enough. This plague or execution order, God says what will happen in advance. It will result in the slavery of Egypt 
giving way to the freedom to Israel. Before they even went through the plague, God told them that this will result in perfect, pure freedom. Church, the execution order that is on the land will result in freedom. We have the joy of knowing that in advance. But we also know that one more is needed. We know more is needed to crucify the Egypt inside of us so that our spirits can reign and be in freedom unto God and worship him on the mountain. We know in advance that this is going to bring freedom. Know that theologically, but practically, it's a different story. What does verse 2 say? It says, tell the people that... tell the." Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. <laughs> Come on, it's, it's giving in advance. In advance, it is told in advance that the slavery in Egypt will give way to redemption and divinity for the people of God. There should be a bigger amen. amen. What does this look like in my life? Does everyone have a mezuzah here? Yeah. Does everyone have a family banner here? Yeah. Promises of God? Yeah. So what does it look like when we're faced with one more plague? What does it look like? For me, it looks like the Lord is already setting in motion the redemption and the divinity for his people before the judgment comes. Before the Egypt is totally pulled out of themselves and they have freedom. And that gives me excitement to the reality I lack nothing. My God has this plan in my life. When I'm sitting there and I'm looking Egypt in the face and I'm saying, Lord, why one more time must I die in this way? Why is this happening? And the Lord is saying, I've already provided you exactly what you needed. I have divinity for you. I have redemption for you. You can move forward. Go through what I have set for you and I will give you exactly what you need. Come on. If you've been in that place where it seems, Lord, one more time, what is this going on? It gives you the ability to look at it and says, no, my God has redemption and divinity waiting for me on the other side. I don't care what it takes. I'm going through. That excites me. Come on, that's good. That's really good. Let's think about it. Let's think about things like the Remember series. Why can we look back and see that so many times God was faithful to bring us further and further along? And yet when we come to face that one more time, we forget it all. See, God's already storing up treasures in our lives through the teachings, through the prophecies, through the very, the very works of the men that we see around us and what he's working into our families and us as a body. God is giving us that redemption and that divinity. And he's not doing it so that you die when it comes to the plague. See, in verse 2, it says that they were to ask their neighbors for these articles of silver and of gold. Let's go on to verse three. It wasn't that they just asked. They actually received what they asked for. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people. And Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. See, they weren't asking because God told them to and then gonna walk away and, and take no for an answer. They were asking for something that God himself told them, you need to go do this. And they did it, and they received exactly what he told them to ask for. Where have we fallen short of that in our own life? Where should we be asking for what God's told us to ask for? And then we don't do the legwork to go and ask for it for fear of an answer of no. For fear that we might not actually receive it. For fear of what that might cause in us, we might be embarrassed to ask for it. See, God told them in advance. 
He gave these things to them in advance, knowing that he was going to bring them through death into resurrection power, out of slavery, into freedom. Verse 4. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. There's something very significant there. It's been piercing our hearts. You see, the fact is this is caused by God, and it occurs in the midnight hour. This is the darkest hour. This is the hour when there is no light shining forth, and you really don't know what you're going to do. This is the midnight hour. You're in the darkest of times, the most difficult of situations where death is looming over you. For them, very literally, I can think about this in my own life, and I can look at all the midnight hours that God has brought me to. And I'll be honest, I didn't like it. I still don't really like it, but I know what it produces. You see, if it weren't for the midnight hour, God would have never showed me who my wife would be. If it weren't for the midnight hour and me taking the courage and believing that what God was going to bring me through on the other side was better than what I could have asked for or imagined, I would have never known about this team. See, the midnight hours in our life are supposed to produce in us the courage to stand up, to say, I will consume the entire lamb. Death will pass over. This is difficult. This is painful. But I know that divinity and redemption are waiting for me on the other side. I can look at things like the midnight hour in my life when I got the news that I'm going to have to start fighting for my sons in court. And the Lord began to speak to me that this is not here to destroy you, that I'm building something inside of you. You see, it's the midnight hours in our life that allow God to shine through and produce that divinity and that redemption in our life. See, these are the hours where God's power is allowed to shine through us. The midnight hour for me is the moment when death is over my camp. It's the moment when I know that Egypt has been reigning in the land that I'm living in. The midnight hour for me is when I know full well that I have sinned. I know full well that I have done wrong. And in fact, it hasn't been one time. There has been a track record of missing the mark in my life. And it has produced this moment that I'm living in now. That is the midnight hour for me. The blackest the time when it feels the most alone in my life, like there will be no light at the end of this tunnel, and it feels like all is crashing down, and death is going to enter my home. That is the midnight hour for me. But you know what's beautiful about the midnight hour? It was what was spoken to us on Sunday. The midnight hour is when the consumption of the lamb takes place. The midnight hour is when God prescribed that his death angel would pass over the people, but they had already consumed the perfect lamb, and that is going to cause them to survive the death that is over them. That is the time when I personally, I have nothing else to do. I am backed in a corner. I have nowhere else to go. I have put myself in this situation. And the only way to go is to cry out to God, give me a lamb so that I may eat it. I want to consume the lamb because I need to press in. What does this look like in your life? What is your midnight hour? I can look at my life and realize the midnight hour, and as I was reading this, the reality is that my midnight hour looks like consuming the lamb at all costs. 
consuming the lamb no matter if death to myself, but I know that life is being formed inside of me. Struggling with the realities of how much I lack and how much I cannot do it on my own. Struggling with, Lord, I will serve you no matter what the cost and then having to pay the cost and don't know if death is actually going to pass over. In that moment, struggling with my failures, my own sin, and struggling at the reality of what it costs my family and those around me. Having to spend trust in God to know, Lord, you said if I consume the whole lamb, I know death will pass over, but right now it doesn't feel like it. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I know that you have. But in those moments, only at the midnight hour can life actually come forth in that moment. The death of yourself, the death of your own ideas, the death of your own pride. That's me. I was given a life-giving scripture. I'm gonna, we're not going to turn to it, but it's Proverbs 13, 4. A slugger's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. In that midnight hour, struggling with the reality is, I am not kind of a slugger, but no, I am a sluggard. Everything I work for is not getting filled. I feel no fulfillment, but the promise, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Like a father looking at a son, say, son, the Lord is toning you and he is getting your desires right. And you are able to be fully satisfied. Walk in this way. See, the blood must be applied to the doorpost. This is a public display of the right sacrifices that you have made. There's no hiding it. There's no wanting to hide it because you want to make sure that the death angel passes over you. But it does not relieve the midnight hour. See, in this applying of the blood, Lord, I'm sitting here broken before you, trusting that the lamb is going to do what it does. I followed, I put the blood upon my doorpost. This, the only thing that causes the death angel to pass over with consuming the lamb is the blood of the lamb. That is what causes the Passover. So when I'm crying in my room with my wife, thinking that there is no way the Lord reminds me, Cody, I saved you in 2007. I have gotten you from darkness and I brought you into light. Yet this darkness may last for a while. Yet he, I am coming in the morning and he provides the very Passover. That is the reason why I'm here today. We're going to pick up some pace, but do you guys feel that? Do you feel the weight of your own midnight hours that you've lived through, that you've experienced? Cody's talking about Proverbs 13.4, and that's a tough scripture to swallow. That's a tough lamb to eat, that scripture, realizing that I have been a sluggard, and because of it, my appetite has never been filled. But you know what consuming that will do? It'll cause you to make the right sacrifices that you need to make and then apply that blood on your doorpost for everybody to see what's been going on in your home. I am making the right sacrifices and death is going to pass over me. Verse 5 says, Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at her hand mill. And all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. It's kind of easy to miss this point, but we heard it Sunday, that the execution was not intended for you. 
The execution was not intended for us. It was intended for the Egyptians. It was intended for the slave drivers. It is intended to kill our flesh that has kept us captive until now. The execution order is given to you so that the Egypt inside of you will die and you can live in freedom after that. The execution order is in that sense a gift that God gives us because his intention for us is that we leave that plague, that execution for the Egypt inside of us. We leave it free. That'll change the way we go through the midnight hour. pick up in Psalm 68 verse 20. I'm going to reference it. It says, our God is a God who saves. From the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. I want to go back to what Justin is saying. The reality of that, the judgment, the execution was not intended for you. Brandon, the execution was not intended for you. Nolan, the execution is not intended for you. See, when we grasp this, we have the reality that, Lord, I have the confidence. I've eaten the lamb. I've gone through the hour. Wait, wait, this didn't cause my death. Wait, I'm not sitting here dead. No, because it wasn't intended for you. It was for the gods of Egypt, for those who has been driving you into slaveship. And yet he is setting us free. I want to pick up in verse seven. It says, but among the Israelites, not a dog, not even Brutus. Well, bark at any man or animal. Yeah. (laughs) Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. See, Egypt is going to well due to the death that overtakes them. But Israel will have peace. Israel will have peace. See, even the dogs that used to bark will be silenced. Yeah, hallelujah. (laughs) See, the reality is, is that when I'm looking at this, even the things that occupy your mind that are nuisances, when you have full redemption, even those are silenced. See, the execution of Egypt was intended so that you will be distinct from Egypt. That's the whole point. So that you will be distinct from Egypt. See, you will be free and not a slave. Thank you, Tom. You will be free and not a slave. The confidence that the Lord is giving us is ever increasing. See, this is supposed to be done in view of everyone so that it will be known that God makes a distinction between the flesh that is being destroyed and the spirit that is causing salvation. We're living this every day. The reality is that the Lord is silencing the barking dog so that you may hear his voice. He's saying, you, you are not a slave, but I have called you to be free men. He has given you everything that you need, and he is causing the spirit to rise and put to death that which needs to be put to death. See, this is that resurrection power. This is that life-giving power, and it doesn't stop just at the midnight hour. One to verse 8. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. The Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you. 
so that my, my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. See, God has increased the difficulty of this situation. But the, the increased intensity of this situation, the increased difficulty, the intended result was that God's wonders would be multiplied. How much more so in our lives whenever the Lord's ramping up the fire, whenever he's pressing us, whenever the heat is being turned up, should we look and see, no, God's wonders are going to be multiplied in my life. The difficulty level increases, that shows that it's beyond my ability to do it, and it has to be God. See, this would be so much easier if the tith plague didn't have to happen. If Pharaoh just said, hey, go out and go, you know, go, go, go ahead and do it. But no, they had to go through this because they had to actually understand the resurrection power of that Passover lamb, of consuming the whole lamb. They would go on to experience God's judgment on their enemies and the resurrection life that they would experience by consuming that perfect lamb. You see this 10th plague, it had to happen. And Moses was told in advance that it would. But I know in my own life, I know that my flesh needs to die. I know it. It's, 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 everybody can raise their hand and say, yes, I believe this is true. But I hate it when it's pointed out. I hate it when it's told in advance, this needs to die in you. I hate it. I don't want to hate that anymore. Amen. <laughs> we know in advance that our flesh must die, that that Egypt is going to be put to death. And yet somehow we don't want to go through that 10th plague. I'm telling you now that going through that 10th plague is bringing about his greatness and his wonders in your life because it's his resurrection power coursing through your veins. So we know that at the midnight hour is when we must consume the lamb. We know that the midnight hour causes us to consume the lamb. It causes us to press into his perfect presence in the difficulty, in the moments that are heating up. When it seems like you've attained a level, you've gotten corrected, gotten it right, and then there's another correction right on the horizon. It causes you to press into his presence. It causes you to feed off of him in a level that you've never fed off of him before. It causes you to lay our, yourself down at the altar to lay your life down, die to yourself so that his life can reign into us. To allow him to transform us into new people. To stop fighting and kicking against the goads, but actually allow his transformation to occur inside of us. That is what the midnight hour produces. We know that we must lay hold of the resurrection power now during the midnight hour. That at the midnight hour in our lives, we must lay hold of resurrection power. Not like me, going wanting to complain about the midnight hour, wanting to go and, you know, just repeat it and give some rhetoric to get the attention off of myself, but actually allow the midnight hour to produce something inside of me, to allow the transformation to be complete. Let's go to Luke chapter 10, verse 38. As we're going to begin to see Jesus teach and Luke record about this subject. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Like, on sun, like we heard on Sunday, we usually make Martha bad and Mary good. Did you want to have that thought before Sunday? Yeah, no, I did. See, Mary is eating of the lamb sitting at his feet. But it was Martha who opened up her home to her and to him. See, we forget about the realities of what 
this actually takes for us to eat of the lamb. I, I gained a greater appreciation for Martha looking at her hospitality, her hard work, and realizing that it's paving the way for the lamb to even be in her home. Oh, come on. Martha's taking Exodus 11 and 12 seriously. When it was told to her that she, when in Exodus 11 and Exodus 12 says that she needs to know the appetite of her house, she needs to know the appetite of her neighbors, that is what she's doing. Martha is setting the table for the lamb to be consumed by the people in her home. Just a thought we have while we were studying this, because we usually like to make Martha bad and Mary good, but realize it was Martha who opened up her home. Mary would not have gotten to do what she did if it wasn't for Martha opening up her home to him. Which caused us to think about the women. Women, is your hospitality allowing the lamb to be partaken of in your home? Are you working harder and harder and harder to take care of the chores, to do the things in your home so that the people in your home can partake of the lamb that's right in front of them? Do you view those chores as an actual blessing because the people in your home get to partake of the lamb? But see, that's not just the women either. This all reflects back on me as I look at this verse. Am I willing to do what's necessary so the people in my home can partake of the lamb? I like to say I do. I like to actually believe that I do this when I get credit for it. But the truth is, I find it very difficult to sacrifice in silence like Martha so that people in my home can partake of lamb. Church, do you want to work hard like Martha so that there is nothing else needed but to consume the lamb? We know you do. I want to as well. Come on, that's, that's a good perspective. Martha, really thinking about the fact that she prepared a place for the lamb to enter in. She showed hospitality, and now people are able to consume the lamb. Verse 40 goes on to say, But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. See, we're coming to the realization that there's only one thing that matters. And the good thing is that we see that to get to that one thing, Martha has prepared a way. So lest you think that Martha is somehow worse off than Mary, keep in mind that she is the one that provided the opportunity for Mary to go and partake and consume of that one thing. See, Mary, who's the co-star of this story, she goes after the only thing that matters. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus, consuming his teachings, learning how to put them into practice. But this, this very one thing that Mary is consuming in the moment, it also provides a way for Martha to learn what that one thing is. Amen. See, they're doing this together. They're helping one another. Martha is going around preparing the place. This is something that she does quite often. It's shown evident in the word. But then the people that are in her home, they're getting to receive that one thing. See, before this, it's pretty evident that Martha does not know what that one thing is. But praise be to God, he's taken her through a difficulty where she's able to realize what that one thing is. And her service prior to that is what prepared the way for it. Amen. See, the time's going to come where Martha is going to be surrounded by death. In the story that we find in John, that Martha's going to be surrounded by death. And she's going to receive the only thing that matters. 
You see, she saw Mary receive the only thing that matters in that moment, and that's consuming the lamb and getting power from the lamb in her home. Mary had the resolve. She had, her, her gaze was fixed on Jesus getting the only thing that mattered, and that is life from the dead, and Martha learned something from that. Martha's not the bad one in the story. She is the co-star of this story. Because she took what she learned from Mary and she realized that when she was surrounded by death, when death was over her, she too could receive the only thing that matters, life from the dead. Church, there is only one thing that matters. That is consuming the lamb. That is gaining resurrection in the moment. The attitude that says, I need this right now. I need lamb. I don't have it in the moment, but I know where to get it. I need it. The only thing that matters in the midnight hour is gaining resurrection power. If we had the hunger to run after the lamb and actually get resurrection power, we would have it. The beautiful thing, and I did not know this before Sunday, but Luke is going to expound on how to get the only thing that matters. I believe that this was a collection of disparate stories in in Luke chapter 11. And as the pastors relayed, I learned that Luke is stringing together pearls on how to get the only thing that matters. Luke 11 verse 1 says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. God, it's so Hard to explain how much this is relegated in my mind to just a Sunday school story. I laughed when Judah said it on Sunday. You know, you learn this in catechism, whatever people do in Louisiana. (laughs) I've relegated this to just a Sunday school story. But you want to know the truth about my life? I was hungry to teach foundations. I was hungry to preach because I thought that if I could do it, I would have validation that I'm actually a man of God. And I found myself while I was teaching, for some reason I felt like I could never put my finger on what God wanted to say. It's because my heart was twisted and I thought the only thing that matters was being able to speak well. Jesus is is praying and his disciples say, Lord, teach us how to pray just as John taught his disciples. Why is Luke recording this? Jesus said to them, when you pray... Say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Reckon with this for a second. Actually interact with what this, this prayer says. Reckon with the fact that Luke is recording how to get the only thing that matters, and he starts with prayer. He starts with interaction with the lamb. And then he tells you how to pray. He tells you to pray. He tells you to go to the source. Have a hunger that's always praying and seeking the Lord's face. And then he actually tells you how to pray. He says, 
This is what you're to say. Father, hallowed be your name. You start by going to him and saying, you are holy. I acknowledge your holiness, and I acknowledge that I am not holy, but I want your holiness. I need your holiness in my life. He moves on to say, your kingdom come. You are holy, and I want your kingdom right now. What if we thought of this prayer as just less of a recital and more of a genuine cry of someone's heart? Lord, you are holy. I want your kingdom right here, right now. I need my bread today. Bread. I need bread right now. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Help me to forgive other people of their sins. Help me to overcome my temptation. I can't do it alone. I need the only thing that matters in my life. Midnight hour is upon me and I feel death over my household. I need only one thing and I need your holiness. I need your kingdom right now. Look how Luke continues as he is penning and writing this so that we can see how to get the only thing that matters. Verse 5 says, Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. See, we can see clearly that Luke is continuing to expound on the one thing that is needed, and he's showing us how to get it. I don't know if y'all caught it, but this happens at the midnight hour. The darkest time. The blackest time. When death is, you feel like death is over you, you know what the one thing that matters? It's the very bread of heaven, and you're crying out saying, I don't want it, I need it. I gotta have it. Lord, I know that you have it for me, but Lord, I don't know how to get it, but I know that you have it and you're willing to give it to me. Amen. See, the man at the midnight hour is getting up. He's not only getting up, but he's leaving his house to get bread, no matter what the cost is. No matter what the cost. See, this is a man that has a full price attitude. He's willing to look at it at the midnight hour and says, I don't know what it takes, but I'm going to pay the cost to get it. See, the man at the midnight hour continually is looking out, and he's getting up, and he is going towards the one thing that matters. This is the one thing that matters. The very bread, and it comes at the midnight hour. Come on, are we taking into consideration that this is not even for him? He's doing it for his friend. He's come to the realization that there are needs around him, and he does not have what he needs to provide for them. Let's look at our own families. I'll take a look at what my wife needs right now and how I must cry out to God to get what it is that she needs because I don't have it yet, that I need to actually go to God at that midnight hour. If this man can do it for bread, how much more so when life is on the line? See, we have to count our own appetite and know what, the produ- what our lives need to be producing for those around us too because it's not about Rob. This isn't about me getting by and being able to you know, somehow get a pat on the back. Get a thumbs up. Hey, you did a good job. No. How is my wife doing? How is our child that's in her womb growing? How is he going to be doing? Or she? <laughs> but thinking about these things that I'm, I'm not supposed to be thinking about myself, that I must be able to provide for the needs of others. That's right. 
For us, it's interesting that the story that Luke records is about a man who's getting bread for his friend. A friend is coming, and he realizes he doesn't have bread, and he's going to another friend to ask for bread for his other friend. I think the reason that's so striking for me is because Luke is writing this, and it seems to point to the fact that this man had been accustomed to getting bread. He knew how to get bread. He knew how to get bread for himself, and therefore he knew where to get bread for the people that were co- was coming to his house. This man was a master at getting bread for himself. And when it came to the point that someone that was coming under his household needed bread, he was going to risk it all just like he had done for his own hunger. He was going to risk it all for his friend. So that's challenging as I'll get out. Boy, I struggle with having the boldness, having the chutzpah to get bread for other people. Want to know why that is? I lack the ability and aptitude to get bread for myself. I find this truth in me that when I am not feeding other people, it's because I am not being fed for my Father in heaven. And that's not his fault. That's my fault. My appetite needs to grow. My hunger needs to grow. My attempt to get bread needs to go grow so that I can become a master at getting bread, not for myself, but for others. Verse 7 says, then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Oh, man, when children get involved. You see, the truth is, is I often stop right here. The first sign of opposition is when I stop. I know that I need to be seeking the Lord the first part of my day before I go to work. And I make attempts, but the moment that I feel it's difficult, the moment I feel like I'm hitting a brick wall or a little bit of opposition... Usually I stop. When this whole point of this story is what we're going to get to in verse 8. But most of us have this same issue that when we find the first sign of opposition. Oh, pastor, I want to be discipled. Oh, I want to learn from you and do what you do. But the first first time it gets hard, all of that goes out the window. The first sign of opposition at the first distraction, the first sign of failure All diligence goes out of the window. No. We are learning that the only thing that matters is that we get resurrection power. That we are fed from heaven and it does not matter what it costs or how much opposition is in the way. That is only given to us to make it more worth it for us. Look at what verse 8 says. I tell you though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend. Yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. See, it's because of this man's boldness that he gets up. In my own life, I was sitting two weeks ago, arguing with my wife, and we're finding areas of repentance that was needed, and every excuse came to mind. It's late. It's midnight hour. It was, they're sleeping. They're probably, probably just spending time. I know Justin's always busy. But you know what came over me in that moment? 
to reach out, not for bread for me, but though my wife may be set free, a spirit of boldness came upon me and says, I don't care what the cost, and I know, my brother, we're going to get exactly what we need. See, he is put in the position where nothing else matters but the one thing that matters. Can you feel me, teams? Can you feel me, those who are living together? The one thing that matters, it doesn't matter what the cost, but only that one thing that matters. See, he will stop till he gets it for his friend. You will not stop until you get it for your wife. You will not stop till you get the one thing that matters for your team. See, only one thing that matters to this man in the moment, and his boldness provided the way. See, it is true. If this is true in the trivial moment, how much more is it true about the lamb? See, we're talking about bread here, but we know what he's actually talking about. He's talking about getting the bread from heaven that comes from the lamb. And if that's true, if that's true that with boldness we, a man could receive bread, and with boldness we can receive the lamb, how much more is this true about the resurrection power? In your life, in that moment where I'm sitting crying and we're exposing our hearts naked, spiritually, before our friends, saying this is who we are. We have no, no covering left. And yet in my wife, I saw the resurrection power. I saw the, I saw the word spoken. I saw the lamb being produced in her life. And we left that night with the resurrection power, knowing that the word is enough, that the lamb is enough. And, the, and my wife was resurrected at the midnight hour. And I want to see it every night moving forward. And we will. I want to take a second to talk about an area of boldness where I'm being forced to go in my life, and it's a good thing. See, I know many of you knew uh, a few weeks ago, I lost my job, and I thought things were going pretty well. I thought, you know, I'm, a, I'm diligent. I've got some diligence. Oh, wait, where'd my job go? <laughs> See, I'm coming to the realization as I'm crying out boldly for what I don't have, and that's understanding. And I'm crying out to my leaders and the men around me, my brothers, the Lord's showing me areas that he's wanting to grow me in. He's showing me areas of Egypt that are passing through death and the life and freedom that I'm supposed to have coming out of it. And I'll be honest with you, I love it and I don't fully understand all of it yet, but I'm being bold and I'm saying, God, you're gonna help me. You're gonna teach me what it's like to walk in this. Lord, you're gonna help me to stand up and be bold and get everything that I need for my family and for my team. God is teaching me boldness about the one thing that matters, that resurrection power in every area of my life that I need to grow. Verse nine says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Come on, just once is good enough. But the Bible, the word, the Lord Jesus is good enough to reaffirm this, double down on it as a promise in your life. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Come on, saints, he is doubling down on the promise. So for any of you that doubt, I say stand up in boldness. He's already said you're going to receive your redemption and your divinity. Now go and ask. Go and seek. See, there was a time in my life when I was in a dark place. Darkness and the death angel was passing over me. And the Lord spoke to me out of Psalm 9. Verse 7 through 10, he says, the Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. 
He will judge the world in righteousness and he will govern the peoples with justice. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed and a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name will trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. That's the third witness right there. See, the word and the Lord is saying, if you do these things, if you just ask, if you just seek, when you knock, the door will be open. There is a promise that you will get exactly what you need. You will get the one thing that matters, that resurrection power. It goes on to say, and this is not a separate thought, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. Come on, Bim. How much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, this whole story is about the Holy Spirit, which is his resurrection power. The very spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. See, your father is a good father. He will give to you if you just ask. You will find it when you seek. He will open the doors that you knock on. He's not looking to hide it from you. The only thing that gets in the way of us getting exactly what we need when the only thing that matters is finding that resurrection power is ourselves. It's not with God. So I think about that. Where in myself have I allowed fear to creep in? That I'm saying, I'm asking, I'm seeking and knocking, but I'm doing it doubtfully. Where I'm, I'm going to open the word, but I, you know, I doubt God's going to speak something to me today. Or I'm going to sit down to study for this message with my brothers, but I, I don't know if I really have anything to add to it. To hell with that. I'm going to let it burn up and I'm going to stand up in boldness and cry out because his word says it will be given to me. You see, when your hunger causes you to begin to get the one thing that matters, when you stand up in boldness and you ask, you seek and knock and you're receiving that, you begin to become aware and you're allowed to stand up and fight for the one thing that matters in the lives of others. See, I need to learn how to do this because it's not about me. Lord is teaching us how to do this because we're meant to do this together. He's teaching us not so that one man can get it right, so that us collectively as heads of households can raise our families up and teach them to receive the one thing that matters through death and the resurrection life. He's helping us. We're going to end on Psalm 34, 4 through 10. I think perhaps the most powerful part of this message is the fact that the three of us are standing up here together. We don't have time to tell you how many midnight hours we have experienced as a team. But what God's doing in our household is he is forcing us to be bold about the only thing that matters. The Lord is taking away the things that we've relied on instead of a perfect lamb. And he is forcing us to be bold about the only thing that matters in the moments that matter. The Lord has put us through midnight hours and darkness as a team, and he's done that so that Egypt dies in us, yes, so that Israel inside of us lives free, but he's also teaching us how to go after what we need from heaven. See, when you're punched in the mouth, you learn how to punch back. When you get knocked down, you learn how to get back up because you are not going to quit. You learn how to ask your father for the only thing that matters. When you're put in a situation where if you don't have it, you die. When the death angel is over you and you do not have it, you're going to die. 
That's what the Lord has done in our team. And I can honestly say I'm proud to stand up here with these men because we have learned to be pretty friggin' bold about the only thing that matters. We've been punched in the mouth a few times, but we're, gonna, we're punching back. We're going to end in Psalm 34, verse 4 through 10. It says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all of my fears. All of them. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Church, we are tasting and seeing that that lamb is good. We are tasting the only thing that matters and we got to say to you, it is pretty awesome when you've experienced death and you have resurrection power flowing out of your veins. When you have nothing left, nowhere to hide, but God interjects your situation with resurrection power, oh, it is good. We want to say to you that when you taste and see that the Lord is good, the desire comes out of you to want other people to taste and see that the Lord is good. When your appetite has been trained and you eat the lamb on a consistent basis and are resurrected on a consistent basis, oh, you want, the th- you want that for those in your household and everyone around you. You guys, please stand. So mighty God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you that your word is enough and your lamb is enough. And God, we thank you for the resurrection power that's happening in this place even now. God, we praise you for your name. God, that cowardice is dying right now in the name of Jesus. God, we're asking for an increase of boldness amongst your house, oh God. God, that your spirit would reign and your resurrection power would not only be for us, but for those around us, God. God, we lift up your holy name. God, we're asking now, God, that your kingdom come. God, that your will be done on earth, in this room, as it is in heaven, God. God, we beseech the heavens and we say, come, Lord Jesus. God, we are asking, we are knocking, and we say, come in your fullness that we may have all of you, Jesus, in the name of Jesus.